Hey, everybody glad you're here. I thank God. Aren't they amazing? <laughs> yeah, you guys are awesome. We love you. There's something in the water here. There's a ton of kids. Praise the Lord. Hey, um, I don't know if you heard about the man that went into the doctor's office kind of screaming in a panic with a super bloody arm. Doctor, you got to help me. And the doctor's like, what happened to you? And the guy said, this vicious dog just chewed up my arm and the dog was foaming at the mouth. And the doctor's like, just calm down. We're going to begin a series of shots. The guy's like freaking out. Needles? Yes, it's okay. You might have rabies and that could be fatal. We're going to treat it. The doctor leaves the room comes back in and the man is writing on a piece of paper. The doctor thinks he's making his last will and testament. And the doctor says, sir, you are not going to die. We're going to take care of this. The guy says, I'm just making a list of the names of people I'm going to bite. (laughs) Hey, if things don't go well in your week, don't go around biting people, okay? Um, Some of you, often you ask about my Uh, Mom and dad, my dad has an advanced uh, cancer, but he celebrated his 95th birthday this week. And here's a picture, my parents. You know, don't they look good? I hope I look that good at 65. Just kidding. Hey, you know, here's, here's what my mom and dad know. They know that trouble is inevitable. I mean, sometimes it's huge trouble like an advanced cancer. Sometimes it's little trouble. Like this morning, I got here about 7.30 and I was taking communion right back at that entrance, uh, getting ready to preach three times. And uh, I spilled the communion juice all over my front and on the floor. Man, it looked like a, they, somebody dumped a gallon of milk on the floor. How'd they get all that juice in that little thing? But I got it on my sweater and I'm like, oh no, my wife's gonna kill me. And so, but I thought, oh, this is awesome. I've got a Tide stick in my office. So I hustle off to my office, pull out the desk drawer with the Tide stick. Many of you know that I'm blind. Grab it, get my sweater all spread out on the chair, take the cap off, it's a red magic marker. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we got trouble and it's just little. Sometimes we got trouble and it's really, really bad. But if you're sucking air on this planet, you're gonna have trouble. It's inevitable. Now here's what is not inevitable. Trauma drama is optional. If you wanna make your life more miserable, get all dramatized about your struggle. If you wanna make everybody around you miserable, choose drama. But here's the truth for my mom and dad and for anyone who follows Jesus, triumph. The resurrection triumph of Jesus is always possible because our God, he is ever at work to our good because our God, he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Triumph is always possible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, anybody else, anybody else here ever been bitten by a dog? Anybody? Yeah, some of us. Well, everybody in this room, some have been bitten by a dog. Every other person in this room has been snake bit. It started with the first two humans, the ancient serpent, the devil, 
called Satan put the bad bite on Adam and Eve in the garden. They get kicked out of the garden. The serpent gets cursed. But I want you to see how snake bit their children became. Not all their children, but the first two, Cain and Abel. Look at the text. The Bible says that Adam lay with his wife. Here's something you got to know about the Bible. There's always a sequence of events leading up to the birth of a child. Step one, the husband lays with his wife. Step two, the wife gets pregnant. Step three, the birth. So that's what's going on in the text. Adam, the husband, lays with his wife Eve. She became pregnant, step two, and gave birth to Cain. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. One pregnancy, two births, Cain and Abel are twins. Twin brothers. But they are anything from identical. When Eve, she knew the promise of God. She knew that God had promised a Lord, a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, someone who could cure her from her snake bite. We know it's Jesus, but she thinks it's her firstborn. So when she gives birth to Cain, she's like, oh my gosh, he's the one. Look at the word of God. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now that sounds all good. That's the English version of the Bible. The Bible was not written in English. The Hebrew, the original language, does not have the phrase, with the help of. English translators just thought it made sense, but it loses the true meaning. Here's the true meaning, if translated literally from the Hebrew, I have gotten a man, Eve is delighted, I have gotten a man child, the Lord. She thinks Cain, he's her Lord, he's her savior, he's her rescuer, he's gonna bring the cure to her snake bite. Cain means to get. And so Eve believes this boy, I've got him. I've got my dreams. I've got all that I hope for. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my rescue. I got him. And he went through his whole upbringing being told that he's all it. But then Eve gives birth to the second child, second son, Abel, and she gave birth to his brother Abel. But Abel, do you know what Abel means? It means empty of substance. You're nothing. You don't matter. You're nobody. I don't need you. I don't even want you. You are completely unnecessary. I got your brother. He's the one. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the rescuer. You don't matter. I think we all go through able-like seasons when we're convinced that we don't matter, that we are worth nothing to nobody, that we're totally insignificant, unnecessary, unneeded on the planet. I mean, every time Abel heard his mom call his name, he heard it in the tone of his voice, in the tone of her voice. You're nothing. I don't want you. You're worthless. I don't need you. 
You don't matter. In my imagination, I see him leaving the dinner table one uh, evening and Eve doesn't even matter. I mean, she served him scraps, served Cain seconds. Cain gets deserved. Gazert, Abel gets nothing. He just walks out of the house. She didn't even know he's gone. He just walks away thinking, I don't matter. Now, I believe God came up alongside him and said, you matter to me. And that's God's word to you this morning. He's going to hover over your seat. He's going to hover over your soul. And he's going to whisper into your heart of hearts, you matter to me. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how anybody treats you. You matter to me. Now, it's not just that um, um, Cain felt restored by the voice of the Lord. It makes me wonder if God didn't tell Cain as the very first, excuse me, Abel, as the very first human being, what we find written in Isaiah, where the word of God says, uh, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even if she may forget, I will not forget you. Indeed, I have inscribed a picture of you on the palms of my hands. I can remind myself, I remember you every day. I've got you inscribed on the palm of my hand. And it's not just about Abel. It's about you. It's about me. We are all inscribed the pictures of ourselves on God's hand. Our God has big hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. No, he carved out the Grand Canyon with his hands. He, he, he. Dug out the depths of the oceans with his hands. He shaped the Himalayas with his hands. He threw the galaxies into space with his hands. God's got great big hands. And you and me, all of us, we are inscribed on the palm of his hands. You matter to me. I will never, ever forget you. That's his message to you. Um, well, it's not just that they were different in the way they were treated. Um, they had different lifestyles, Cain and Abel. And I want you to know something. In the Bible, the firstborn is always mentioned first. But notice how God puts Abel first. Check it out. The word of God says, when they grew up, Abel, the secondborn is mentioned first, Abel. You see, God, Jesus said, I will make the last become first. This is his message to you. You won't be the tail. He's making you the head. First, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. And it's not just that they had different occupations, different ways of making a living. They had different hearts, attitudes, passions for God. Look at their worship. The scripture says that when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, only some, just some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. It's his best. One brother brings some, Abel brings the best, the firstborn lamb. I don't know if I'll get another lamb. I'm trusting you, God, for more, but I'm bringing you the first, I'm bringing you the best. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Again, Abel first. The last will be first. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and 
his gift. One brother, one gift, totally accepted. The other brother, the other gift, totally rejected. Means nothing to me. Now, does that sound fair? I mean, does that offend you? What's going on here? Cain is doing whatever he darn well pleases. He's worshiping God his way, which is not worship at all. True worship is worshiping God God's way. Cain just brings some. Abel brings the best and the first. This is why we as Christ followers every weekend or out of every pay period, when those buckets go by, we put the first 10% of our income into the buckets. That's our gift to the Lord. That's what he asked of us. That's his way of doing worship. So that's how we worship. Cain just brought some. And so Cain is totally rejected. His gift, unaccepted. And he sees that his brother is getting all the acceptance from God. And man, he just goes off. I mean, this rejection acceptance thing just tees him off. Here's what happens in the story. Cain was, man, he was very angry. And his face was, his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, I, mean, I love this about our God. This is so God. When we make terrible decisions, when we are at our worst, when we are at our ugliest, he is ever pursuing us with his love. He is ever offering us forgiveness. He is trying to turn us around. And that's what he does with Cain. He, Cain keeps doing his own thing his own way. And the Lord said to Cain, hey, why are you angry? If you do what is right, will you not be, will you not be accepted? I mean, Cain allows himself to be snake bit and snake bit and snake bit over and over and over again, just like I have, just like you have. It was his choice. I mean, he's piling up sin on sin and piles on top of that being angry. I got not taking responsibility for his own behavior, being mad at God. And I believe God just won't give up on him. God keeps coming after him. Here, here's what happens in the text. God says to Cain, if you do not do what is right, man's sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now on the surface, that it, it appears that God is warning Cain. You're going in the wrong direction, baby. You're headed for a dead end, self-damaging life of sin and death. It appears to be on the surface a warning. Now, Hebrew scholars, they say that there are 70 different ways to interpret every passage of Scripture. Holy smoke. I'm not that smart. But I can give you another idea here based on the text. I believe that as God reaches out to Cain and offers to forgive him completely, absolutely completely, that God has brought a lamb and placed it by the door. You see, God is warning Cain, but at the same time, I believe he is wooing him to himself. Does the same with us. Maybe that's why you're here today. God wants to warn you of your sin, warn you away from your sin, and woo you, 
woo you to himself, woo you back into right relationship, woo you back into real relationship with himself, woo you into his love, woo you into his grace, woo you into his mercy, woo you into his peace, woo you into his hope as God warns us. And you know how God warns us? God always warns us away from sin with his loving kindness. He's not like this angry policeman in the sky who wants to beat us on the head with a billy club anytime we get out of line. God uses loving kindness to warn us away from sin and then woo us into the depths of his love. So I believe there's a, a lamb at the door. And I believe this because of the Hebrew word katah that appears in the text. It can be translated sin, but in equal time in the Bible, it's translated sin offering. That's a lamb. And that day they would, they would lay their hands on the lamb's head and speak their sins onto the lamb, an innocent second party. And then they would slaughter the lamb. This was not some ritual from a long time ago. This was meant to point us to Jesus on the cross. When we say we're guilty, our sins go on him. When we confess, our sins go on him and everything right with Jesus comes to us. On the cross, he is our substitute. On the cross, he takes our place. On the cross, he gets the punishment, the penalty, the consequence we deserve for our sin, but it all falls on him. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God is saying to Cain, hey, you can still get this right. You don't have to keep going in the direction of that sin. You don't have to get addicted to your sin. It's not all about you. There's a lamb. I put a lamb at your door. You better get control of this thing and do what's right. And if you do, you will be completely forgiven. You see, this is so God because Cain does not deserve a second chance. All his life he has been arrogant. All his life he has been controlling. All his life he thought he was running things. God runs things. We want God to run our marriage. We want God to run this church. We want God to run our lives. But Cain thinks he's all that. He doesn't deserve a second chance. What is this, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance? He doesn't deserve it. He did nothing. He paid no money. He paid no cost for that lamb that's a gift. God's offering him a free gift. He didn't work to raise that lamb. Cain didn't know God is offering him a free gift. This is a picture of Jesus. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to be right with God. It's been done for us by our Savior, by our Lord, by our King, by our Rescuer, by our Deliverer. It reminds me of John 3.16. This is how much God loves the world. This is how much God loves you. This is how much God loves me. He gave his Son, Jesus, his one and only Son. And this is why. So no one needs to be destroyed. Not Cain, not me, not you, not anybody. But by believing in Jesus, anyone, that's me, that's you, anyone can have a whole and everlasting life. So God is making a choice. Keep going down this sin path. It's gonna kill you. Turn to me. Worship me my way. 
and you get life and you get love and you get hope and you get peace and you get joy. You got a choice. Cain says, no, the heck with your way. The heck with you, God. Here's what happens. Cain finds his brother, says to his brother, Abel, uh, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, killed him. Cold-blooded murderer. Can you imagine? Now what's God going to do? God is going to keep being true to his character. Just like for us when we are at our worst, when we do the ugliest. Just like us when we're just making terrible decisions and taking our, our life in the worst possible direction. God never stops coming after us. God never stops reaching out to us. Never, God never stops offering forgiveness. Never, God never stops trying to turn us around, warning us of our sin, wooing us to himself. He loves us so much. Here's how it happened for Cain. The Lord said to Cain, another question. Remember the first question? Why are you so angry? You don't have to go there. Look at this question. Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, before I tell you how God answered Cain, I want to tell you how our church answers that question. Are we our brother's keeper? We say, yes. We say a resounding yes, yes, yes. We are responsible for the hurts and the needs of the people around us and even in our world. And I'll just show you simple ways if you're newer to our church that it works here. Because it's not just talk about being responsible for others. It's actions of deep compassion. Just like God has shown us deep compassion. Say, for instance, when our people come in to this room each weekend at the offering time, they do make uh, their offering to the Lord as the word of God prescribes. But as we leave, just like in the day of Jesus, they didn't have green buckets, they had a box. But in the day of Jesus, they, as they would leave, they would drop, um, not dollars, denarii in the, the box. They said to fix what is broken in the world. And so when we leave every weekend, we just drop a few extra dollars in the box. And then our combined, maybe someone has had a fire, they've lost everything. Well, on my own, I couldn't help them. On your own, you couldn't help them. But together, our combined generosity can take care of folks who are hurting. So that's one thing. Every weekend that happens. Every Wednesday, hungry people from our immediate area come here and we give them a week's worth of groceries for their family. So that's on the weekend, that's on the Wednesdays. And then every quarter of the year, we do a sacrificial, and it's a big um, love offering. Our people are super generous. And today is the day when we'll pool our generosity for the hurting in our world. And here's I just want you to know, I know not everyone came prepared to give and that this offering kind of rolls in over the course of two or three weeks, but here's what it will go to, the recipients. First, a third of the offering will go to the overflowing cup in our community, a ministry in our community that serves the homeless in ways that we would never be able to as a church. So we wanna help them do what they're better than us at to serve the homeless. Uh, secondly, um, in our church and on our staff, is a gentleman named Walter Dort, Pastor Walter. If you use our study guides, and please do, he's the one who writes them. He helps in our ministry in many ways. I have known him for probably uh, 20 years 
or more personally. And uh, God put it on the hearts of our leadership, particularly Eric Henry, uh, to rescue Walter, his wife Sony, their two teenage girls, from the violence, the death threats, um, the kidnappings in Haiti. And we, we were able to bring him here. He serves our church on a religious worker's visa and continue, continue to do so, can continue to do so as we satisfy uh, the government's longing for money. But no, so our love offering helps him stay and helps him serve. Um, but we can't rescue every family from the horror that Haiti has become, but there's another family there that we know personally through our ministry, a young husband and wife who have a five-year-old child and a seven-year-old child. Those children have not been to school for a year, not because of COVID, but because of gang, out of control gang violence. The gangs are running the, the country, th death threats. Kids can't, in fact, the whole family just stays hunkered down inside all day, afraid to go out of their house. The dad only leaves trying to find food, which is super expensive and not easy to find. But we, can, we can't get them to the U.S., but we can get them across the border into the Dominican Republic where they have a family, relatives, who have a room, and this entire family will set up life in that one bedroom. Can you imagine all of your family, and you're confined to doing life in one bedroom? But it will be safe there. They will be protected there. They can get work there. They can eat there, and they can have the possibility of a future there, and we want to help them. They are our brothers and we will keep them and serve them. So let me give you what, how God answered Cain's question. Am I my brother's keeper? Here's what God says. Listen, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then the Lord put a mark, a mark. The Lord put a mark on Cain so no one would kill him. So his dad wouldn't kill him. So his mom wouldn't kill him. So his other siblings wouldn't kill him. Put a mark. Now, the Hebrew scholars say that it was a, the Hebrew letter Tav. And Tav looks like a cross. They say that God tattooed a Tav, a cross, on Cain's forehead. So that he would not bear the consequence of his sin. God just keeps trying to fully forgive. Now, the mark on a Christian... Mark on Cain was a cross. For forgiveness, Mark on a Christian is baptism. So our sins are washed away. So that the author of Hebrews would write this way. You have come to Jesus and to his sprinkled blood, which, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance. Like the blood of Abel. This is the time not just to bear the mark of Christ on our lives, on our hearts. As we give generously in our love offering, I'm going to ask the servers to come. Um, I know that there are people here today who want to be baptized. Just come right down to me and I'll help you uh, with that. But let me pray over you. Uh, servers, get ready. Our Father and our God, we, we are our brother's keeper. Please um, Receive this offering, touch it, Lord, bless it, Lord, multiply it for the sake of those in need, the homeless, the hurting, the afraid, those who serve in Jesus' name. Receive our gifts. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.